Super Talk Mississippi media production. Hi, this is Dr. Andy Barlow with the Chiropractic Physician Center of Tupelo and author of the number one bestseller, The Code Breaker. Are you sick and tired of the medical merry-go-round? Are you looking for a potential solution to your health problem? Be sure and listen to our podcast, The Code Breaker. What is up on a Monday? I am Brian Scott Rippey. My co-conspirator, as always, is Colin Brister. We appreciate you hanging out with us on this Monday edition of the Rebel Report podcast. A busy show to get to. A lot of Ole Miss baseball in a weekend. That was probably the single most damaging weekend they've had all year. Um, it's kind of a layered layered thing, so we'll get into that. Some, um, some NBA playoffs. Ole Miss softball is hosting a regional um beginning this weekend i believe and then i don't know we'll see whatever else comes up colin how are you um i'm okay i'm okay uh it was it was a long weekend in oxford to put it lightly yeah it was there was uh packed in town graduation had this place like a zoo i tried to go get lunch on saturday before the game it was literally like 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 I live off like a like kind of off Anderson Road. For those of you obviously who have been to Oxford recently, like trying to get just to Jackson, it took me 25 minutes. It was absurd. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I live uh, you know kind of in that same area, and I pull out. I had to go the back way to get to Jackson. You know, like up by Kroger and whatnot. I had to go that way to get to Jackson. It was so packed. Uh, yeah, it was a uh, it was a nightmare, but um. Yeah, so a busy weekend, graduation. I did not do the graduation thing. It was long enough the first time. It was boring enough the first time. I was just like, send me the diploma in the mail. I am not not walking. Um, so, yeah, so Ole Miss, obviously, they get swept by Mississippi State. Uh, I guess we'll start with Friday. Ole Miss loses 2 to nothing in a game. Ethan Small was really good. Will Etheridge was okay. Ole Miss had a chance late in the eighth inning to score. They had another one in the... Fourth, third, fourth, I think, maybe earlier in the game. Yeah, I think it was the fourth, yeah. And wasn't able to, to to score, and so that was really kind of the difference in the game. Ethan Small was really good. Will Etheridge was all right. Uh, see, to me, that game, obviously Ole Miss had a chance late, but that's the difference between an A-line Friday night starter and a B-line. And, like, Will Etheridge is okay as terms of Friday night. Guy's not great, and Small was really good. Yeah, I think I disagree a little bit. I thought Will Etheridge was really, really good. He gave up, what, two over seven? Yeah. I mean, it, it's just two over six, two over seven, I can't remember. But, it, you know, Ethan Small is one of the best pitchers in the country. If I think, you know, probably Alex Manoa at West Virginia is probably a little better. But other than that, he, he's really, really good. And I thought, you know, for all the teeth gnashing over this weekend, Friday night is just one where you, look up, you lose a baseball game. And, and it happens, and it if you're an Ole Miss fan, it sucks. But you don't really – there's not a ton to, you know, get upset over – I thought the bunt call in the eighth inning was horrific. But other than that, I mean, it, it was really just you lost the baseball game and, and it happens against Ethan Small to a lot of people. Yeah, and so they had – so the, that it was kind of the, the turning point in the game uh, in terms of Friday night. Like Ole Miss, what they put first and second on with no out, Zabowski and someone else singled Graham. to start the eighth. Graham. Graham. And – it was like like that was Ole Miss's best chance to score all night. Like by far and away, they had first, second outs. They hadn't really done much off Lee Belt. It was a I guess we can get to it in a second, but there was a fog delay, and so like this game at that point is in like a misty rain. Like they'd had a 45 minute delay from fog that chased really. I mean, I'm not sure. Like 
I mean, it definitely contributed to Etheridge's exit. It was 100% the reason why Small was out of the game. Yes, absolutely. So, you have this fog delay where they think, like, you, they stop the game in the, the, before the top of the seventh inning and say there's going to be a 30-minute fog delay, just assuming the fog is going to somehow dissipate after 30 minutes, which I'm pretty sure that's not how weather works. Uh, I'm not a weather guy, but that didn't seem to make oh. a ton of sense. I will say, I get where you're coming from. As someone that was sitting pretty low right behind the home plate, it did get better after the delay. Like, it, it was better. It got better uh, immediately, like, down lower. But any if you hit a fly ball into the air, it was still the exact same. I mean, sure, yeah. But, you know, I, I, don't, I don't, it was probably worth delaying for the rest of the game. Um, I don't know. And then you remember they started back, and they're like, oh, we're going to add 20 more minutes. And then they just played, like, four minutes later. Yeah, and so they added 20 more minutes to the lay, and then five minutes later the team took the field and they started throwing pitches. And it was just like, what, what is going on here? Anyway, all that's to say is State brings Lee Belt in the game. Ole Miss hadn't really done anything off of him. Had literally done nothing off of him. Gets two hits to start the eighth. And then a bunt was called for Justin Bench, who was making his first career start in his first game back from a broken hand. And hasn't played in two months. And not only do you ask him to play, you ask him to bunt. <laughs> uh, you're down by two runs in the eighth inning. You've got six outs left. And somebody in the Ole Miss dugout brilliantly decided that they need to give them an out. Yeah, so, I mean, you you obviously, if you're listening, you probably saw what happened. He does not get the bunt down, fouls out, bunting at 0-2. I actually don't even – oh, uh, Jacob Adams comes up in the nine hole, which is well, another weird thing about it is you're bunting to get two guys over for Jacob Adams in the nine hole. Adams hits a lot of ground balls. 4-6-3 double play ends the threat, and that was pretty much the end of the game there. Yeah, because uh, the top of the order did nothing. So, almost played for one run in the eighth inning down two, which was the boldest strategy I've seen in a while. Um, and it didn't work, and it probably shouldn't work. You don't deserve to – get rewarded for doing stupid things yeah and i think that's part of what this weekend kind of like like i wrote about this on at the I mean, we'll get through all of it in a second but i wrote after sunday just this was more about like this was more about perception than anything else even though it was harmful to their ncaa tournament resume but like i mean you got one coach shifting and playing numbers and doing all of these different things and then you got another one bunting down two with six outs left yeah, that that's what's painful if you're an Ole Miss fan is that Chris Wallonis was sitting in the third base dugout uh, playing shifts against Ole Miss's left-handers because they're taught to pull everything. Um, and Ole Miss was, as you said, bunting down two in the eighth inning because that's that's what they've done for 19 years now, and God forbid to change. Um, that that was probably the most you know, uh, other than obviously getting swept by your arch rival at home, it's just the fact that a lot of the stuff that Ole Miss continues to do is antiquated and outdated. Yeah, so Ole Miss loses two to nothing, and then like to me, I was kind of going into Saturday. I was like, I, I mean, Ole Miss, like if, if they get this back, Doug Nikhazy saved him a couple times, they'll be okay because I think Sunday will be kind of a crapshoot. And to Nikhazy's credit, he had absolutely no feel for anything, but he still kind of battles and gets through six and a third. Was yep. it six and a third? Not just six. Just six. So. That was a weird play early in the game where where Ginn couldn't buy it. Like, so Ginn got the first two batters out in the first inning and then just kind of went off the rails, gave up a couple hits, a couple walks. Ole Miss scores two runs off him. 
Uh, and then there was a play in the first that really bailed him out of the inning. Ginn was having trouble throwing strikes. For whatever reason, couldn't get the last out of the first inning to save his life. Um, and then you had a ground ball by, I don't even actually remember who hit it off the top Graham. of my head. No, Graham ran into the guy. Oh, that's right. It was uh, it was Jake Adams because he shouldn't have been swinging because it was 2-0 and he had thrown 10 balls in a row. That's right. So the base is loaded. Like, Ginn's having trouble finding the strike zone. Adams gets ahead 2-0 and then chops one to the second baseman. And it was kind of a slow bouncer. And Kevin Graham runs into Justin Foscue going to second base. But Foscue had already booted the ball and then ran into Graham. And so the ball was packed him. So it was, it was called runner's interference, which was... The incorrect call by the umpire, and he obviously immediately knew he blew the call because that was as upset as I've seen Mike Bianco maybe, maybe ever in the. I mean, I've only been around five years, but maybe ever. Um, yeah. And he got a really long leash, but that's presumably because they knew they blew the call. Yeah, and it, it, he used to get a lot more animated than he does now. That's as bad as I've ever seen him uh, since you know 2009. Yeah, and then like he, I mean, he. There was a lot of. I mean, you could tell on. You could see it on. Like we had the television going, like stream going up there too, and you could see like a lot of choice words, uh, and and, and rightfully so because they blew the call. That's two more runs, so that would have been four to nothing at least on Miss. You don't really know where the inning goes after that. You possibly. I mean, if it had gotten too much worse, like Gin might not have survived. Yeah, they were already getting somebody loose. Yeah. They and, throwing in the pen. And so oh, State gets out of the inning and then Ginn proceeds to retire the next nine in a row and then didn't give up any more runs. So anyway, State ties it at two. Ole Miss goes up 4-2 and then Nikhazy exits after six innings and the seventh inning was an abject disaster for Ole Miss. State plates four runs. Six runs. Or excuse me, six runs. Austin Miller couldn't get anybody out and Parker Caracy could not get anybody out. Yeah, which has to be worrisome. Um, but you know, it, because it, that it, whole bullpen whole stick this year is that after those two, it's been a bit of a, uh, I mean, question marks are like not the right phrase, but it has like you don't, you really don't know who you can trust after that. And so, if the two guys you think you can trust aren't getting people out, that could potentially be problematic. <laughs> yeah, um, you know, and I think a lot of it had to do, and this, you know, he's not going to make this excuse. I don't think Miller could find his grip with the curveball in the rain. Um, because you look on Sunday and he's really good. Um, I think that played into it. And, and, you know, look, that's not, you can't make excuses because State played in the same rain and, and they didn't, you know, they didn't falter like that. But, you know, I think that contributed to, to Miller's success. So I wouldn't be overly worried about him. Crazy's the one you got to be a little bit worried about, though, right? Yeah, no, I would agree with that. And Miller mentioned a little bit that after the game, and the mound was bothering him. Like, and like I said, it's not an excuse, but you could tell when it was happening, the mound was bothering. He kept like stamping down where he step, like he slide steps, and so that was definitely an issue. But yeah, I mean that was a bit of an anomaly because Miller was good again Saturday. Crazy's now been, I mean, just like unusable the last two times he's pitched. Um, and, you, and I wonder, I wasn't there, or I was there, but I didn't take notice to the velocity of if it was down or what the difference is. And some of it may have just been the state's really good. Because, um, you know, the, the, what will get forgotten about this, the state is probably one of the top five teams in the country. Um, but, yeah, I, I just kind of wonder what the difference is with Gracie, if there's any difference or if balls are just starting to fall now. Yeah, and... <sighs> 
Yeah, I mean, it, 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 it. I don't really know what the difference is. Do you think it's fatigue? Like, because you kind of saw this towards a little bit towards the end of last year when he got a little bit tired and things did not always go accordingly. But to their credit, they've not overused him really like they did last year. Like, they, they, like he pitched one inning this weekend. He didn't pitch against Kentucky. Um, you know, there were. They, I think he pitched one point two innings against Alabama and Missouri. Like they haven't consistently overused him like they did last year. So I wonder. I kind of wonder if, if he's getting fatigued, and I, I don't really understand why. Well, it could be a short term deal because he was used a lot last weekend. Sure, I mean that's that's fair, but I, I, I guess the point was last year he was he was overused consistently throughout the season, and there was that was why that you consistently saw some fall off there in the middle of the year. Fastball is not the same though. It doesn't seem like velocity's down a tick, and then every what he has behind the fastball, he hasn't trusted as much as last year. There's been times where it's been better than others, but uh, I think he's kind of reverted back to necessarily not having a feel for anything. Yeah, and it's like I said with Austin Miller, it's hard to throw that breaking ball in the strike zone uh, when it's raining like that. But you know that's not an excuse. As I said, State has to play in the same weather, and uh, they they were able to get it done. So. You know, going forward, that's probably the biggest storyline besides you know, the obvious. And so, obviously, that seventh inning turns the game. Ole Miss loses 8-5. to five. Come back Sunday, and what was a really important game for their season, because yep. if you lose two out of three, whatever, you, still, you just go win two in Knoxville, you're still in the hosting conversation. Like, it's not ideal. State's kind of had your number if you're, old, like, if you're thinking about it from an Ole Miss perspective. But far from the worst thing in the world – if you get two out of three, and that of course did not happen at all. Ole Miss goes up, but they go one to like it was like what two to one, one oh two one three two right? Yeah, whatever. None of that mattered because after that, <laughs> State scores nine runs with two outs in the fourth inning. Gunnar Hoagland goes and nobody on. What Gunnar Hoagland went three and two thirds? Yep, three and two thirds. Nobody on. He left uh, with bases loaded for a guy that couldn't throw a strike. Yeah, and so. And so, I was a little surprised Hoagland even made it that long. They were knocking his knocking him around the yard. I mean, he he, gave, he left and he had given up two runs on eight hits and some hard contact where he got lucky to get out of it. And so then they go Zach Phillips to Zach Phillips and Phillips, who has not been good. Like he's been serviceable as a starter for the last month but the couple times he's been asked to come out of the bullpen particularly with runners on base he's not been good and what do you know it didn't work out again he walks two guys um so state takes a four to two lead i guess at that point because it was two two uh no almost was up three to two so i think they take a four to three lead um so then he hands the ball to max Chofi who was, I don't know if you want to call it better or worse, it, he, he threw it in the strike zone. He got hit a ton, but he yeah. threw it in the strike zone. So Chofi has now re- retired one hitter since April 20th. That doesn't seem good. No, no, and you wonder, because he was down at LSU. He didn't, I don't even think he warmed up. Uh, you know, Obviously, he would have been one of the relievers they counted on down that Sunday. Uh, I wonder if there is some actual fatigue there. But he hasn't been used very much. No, that's fair. But I think that might be why. Um, because I think there's some – because uh, I watched him on Sunday. I went back and watched. He was 88, 89, and he's 90, 91. And, look, he's been awful, um, not to not to put it lightly. But I do wonder there if, if there's something up. Kind of, you know, we mentioned it with Gracie. If there's something up from, 
because this is the most he's ever been used in a season, obviously. Yeah, so it was only two to one at that point. Ole Miss was up two to one going into the end. Two to one, okay. So I just not this is completely semantics. None of this matters because State scores nine runs in the fourth inning, all with two outs. So Hoagland retired the first two batters of that inning, Mm -hmm. and it blew up. And then blew up in like two. To Ole Miss's credit and to the pitching staff's credit, when they blow up, it is not a casual blow up. It is a full yeah. on just like kamikaze bomb. Like it here's is where my my issue is with with that blow up. If Austin Miller is available for three innings on Sunday, then why is he not the first out of the pen? I think Mike liked the way Phillips matched up against him because of the way he pitched last time. But it's an entirely different scenario when he's inheriting the bases loaded as opposed to coming out in the first inning. Yeah, he's not coming in with a, if, if he's coming in with a clean slate, then then so be it. But you're asking a kid that's been a starter his whole life to come in with a base loaded. That doesn't seem like an ideal scenario. Yeah, so so it's it's just kind of I'm looking at the 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 stat broadcast. It's just kind of bizarre. Like the fourth inning starts, ground out, strike out. Then you go single, single, single. Run scores. They intentionally walk Mangum. Phillips pitches for Hoagland, and everything's just downhill after that. Two walks. Uh, Chofi gave up two singles and two doubles, and then, hey, to his credit, he got a guy out. Sure. <laughs> and you kind of have to, otherwise they would still be playing. Uh, yes, I, I was actually thinking they might still be playing. Um, but nine runs with two outs, and, of course, the game is effectively over after that. Ole Miss gets swept. It ends up being 11-5. to Very, very ugly weekend coming off one of the bigger weekends in in the Mike Bianco era, because I mean they had one at LSU and in forever they win two out of three. Your hosting now looks like not a slam dunk, but like fairly easily attainable if you don't just blow up. And boy, did they blow up! Yeah, to uh, put it lightly, they blew up and have put themselves. I don't want to say behind the eight ball because there's still a real realistic path to playing postseason baseball in Oxford, but it goes beyond that. It goes beyond playing postseason ball in Oxford when you when you let State you know come in and do what they did. I don't know. I would actually push back there because I would say it's possible, but I wouldn't. I wouldn't say sweeping at Tennessee is realistic. Um, no, it's not. But in saying that, if you go three and one this week, the needs report says you're going to have a top sixteen to seventeen RPI. Um, and if you have a seventeen RPI with a seventeen and thirteen record and do some work in Hoover, um, you you can always. Now, here's the thing: if we're going to do this route. Somebody does have to. It was kind of this way with the national seed perspective last year. Somebody does have to come take your host spot. And you look around against the, about the teams competing with Ole Miss. Nobody really went and took it this weekend either. Like so, it, it's a conglomeration of crap, really, at the back end of, uh, of, the, of the hosting strategy. Because you look at teams like LSU, they don't win a series against uh, uh, Arkansas this weekend. LSU's not hosting. They're a mess. Well, okay, you say that, but they do have to let 16 teams host, man. Like, <laughs> you have to, like, this basketball tournament, they have to put 64 t- or 68 teams in it. 16 teams have to host regional. they got to find somebody. And, you know, North Carolina loses a series at Pittsburgh this weekend. I mean, it's just the, at the back end of this hosting conversation, it's a conglomeration of crap. But, again, like I said, with getting swept by Mississippi State in, in the way they did, the hosting conversation is not the one that needs to be at the forefront. Yeah, so I, I guess the the, I guess what we'll start, we'll start there. Then we'll get in the hosting thing because we kind of already got in the hosting thing, but not really. Um, but so, 
it's more about perception than anything. State's now won 14 of 16. Um, like, I mean, if you really want to frame it this way, which seems dumb, but, you know, our media counterparts in the other part of the state seem to call it this. When Jake Mangum is, like, the Jake Mangum quote-unquote era, 14-2, and two, that's not a very good look for two programs who, or at least Ole Miss tries to portray themselves as a somewhat equal program. Yeah, and it's not. I mean, Ole Miss, frankly, had been the better program. Uh, frankly, under the under John Cohen, Ole Miss was a better program than Mississippi State. Since then, it has been absolute domination over four over four coaches, which is impressive. Yeah, and I wrote yesterday whether it's fair or unfair, but like state success, like heightens up the pressure and scrutiny under Ole Miss's program for better or for worse, because that's just what kind of when you have success for that long like Ole Miss has, and State's had it for longer, if you're talking about just kind of in the grand scheme of things of time, it naturally just kind of heightens the pressure and scrutiny. And you've got one program who seemingly maximizes all their postseason opportunities. What They've had three trips to Omaha since 07. They're coming off. They've been to three straight Super Regionals. They're coming off of a year in which they won a road regional and won a road super on route to Omaha in a year where their coach got fired. They've beaten Ole Miss the last four years under four different coaches. Like, and Ole Miss hasn't ever won a road regional. They've been to one super since 09. Like, it's just a, from an optical standpoint, it is not, it's not a great look. Well, it, it, it's really, really hard to uh, make some of the excuses that, that people have made when Mississippi State beats you like they do and, and advances. Super regionals like they do. With they play that series like that. with a different mentality. They play the Ole Miss series with a different mentality, and you can tell. You can tell like the te- two teams do, like. And I hate saying stuff like this because it's not tangibly quantified. Like, like you can't quantify it with like numbers or statistics past like the win loss record. But it's evident. Like they they played this series differently than Ole Miss does. Oh, but, but maybe. But what? I mean. I think last year that that played into it some, and, and maybe in, in sixteen. But I think they're just so much better than Ole Miss right now that, that that's kind of what what the reasoning for them getting the sweep was, that you look out on the field and, and from a program standpoint, they're just better than Ole Miss pretty much in every area. Yeah, and, but you're talking I'm, about a team that was in the hosting conversation and one that was in the national seed. You're telling me that the hosting team can't get one game at home? Oh, sure. Sure. Um, you know, you don't get swept at home. Um I mean, like, Mangum had a quote after the Saturday game that's like, there's blood in the water, we're going to get this third. Like, you would never hear someone from Ole Miss say anything like that. And I like that. No. I know that's subjective, but, like, well, there's something Ole to Miss, it. Ole Miss doesn't have a Jake Mangum. They don't have a guy that... that they need that, about three. Yeah. And I'm not even talking about the, the... Like, Jake Mangum's, like, play speaks for himself. I'm talking about the attitude. Yeah. And, and the mindset. You're not a guy that hits 400 and, and 380 in the SEC with a 900 OPS for four seasons. I'm talking about a guy that... Frankly, is, is that you love one of those guys that, that you need a Marshall Henderson on this team. Like, like that's the type of guy that uh, you need. On the, the dude team. plays with a boulder on his shoulder. Yes, yes, and and you don't really have that on this Ole Miss team. It's just and and they're all good kids. They're all really good kids, but you don't have a guy that just pisses you off if you're on the other team. Maybe you do. Maybe you do. And he was in the bed with the flu this weekend. Um, yeah, I mean, that's part of it. So, Rhino Lenning missed the series. He was, sounds from the sounds of it, very sick with the flu. Yeah. Um, also, Knox LaPoster is injured. I, I saw I saw number four on crutches uh, in the dugout. I didn't know if that was him or what was that. We have a media op 
later today after this recording i'll find out i've heard it was a sprained knee or something like that but he was not dressed but any, anyway not that didn't really end up mattering but yes Ole miss was out without ryan olenic like probably makes some difference but man if that makes if if that's the straw that stirs the drink they might have bigger issues they get swell with ryan olenic yeah i mean like yeah i mean 100 percent. so I mean, yeah, it's a perception thing because fourteen to sixteen is a bad look. Like in a series between two programs that like tout themselves the way they do, I don't think that should ever really happen. No, it shouldn't. Um, you've lost six in a row in Oxford. How, how does that happen? Yeah, this number one <laughs> recruiting class is what is it? Two and ten versus Mississippi State. How does that happen? It will look on the bright side for Ole Miss people. That was that was only the fir- that was the first time State swept in Oxford since twenty seventeen. The last time they were there. <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's like the, 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 that was their first egg bowl win in Oxford since the last time. Yeah, that was uh, that's not great. I I don't really know how that happens to be honest. Yeah, you're almost fine. You better thank God for that basketball team because otherwise you're looking at what zero and seven. Uh, yeah, yeah. zero and seven. Yeah, seems you end up you end zero and seven by winning at the hump. Yeah, so. Outside of perception, obviously Ole Miss's hosting changes took a huge dent. Uh, we kind of got into it earlier. They're going to have to go to Tennessee and likely sweep, maybe two out of three, get some. Two out of three and work, and Hoover maybe gets it done, but, but sweeping is, is probably the path, yeah. The, the thing is, though, their, their starting pitching's been okay. Tennessee's playing for their NCAA tournament life. Ole Miss's bullpen can't get anyone out right now. Like I don't see how sweep, like getting two would be a little bit surprising at this point. Uh, I disagree with that. I, I think Tennessee's horrible. Um, I don't like you look at them from a statistics perspective. You're like, how do they, how do these guys win games? In front, well, to be fair, you look at Ole Miss and, and from a statistics perspective, you're like, how do these guys lose games? Um, because well, that's kind of the thing. Ole Miss, particularly in, in in series like this, has found ways to just like they've just kind of invented ways to lose. Yeah, because you look at Ole Miss's statistics, and frankly, they're the same as last year, and they're not winning games this year. Uh, you know, at the rate they did last year. I think Ole Miss wins two this weekend. I don't think they sweep. Um, I don't think Tennessee is, frankly, very good. They hit, like, 240 with a 660 OPS in SEC play. They don't pitch it really well. Um, you know, I know the numbers overall say they have, like, a 3-2 ERA. They've got, like, a 4-6 in conference and a 1.4 whip. Uh, I think they're a pretty bad baseball team. Uh, and I think Ole Miss wins two. But, you know, I don't think that's going to be enough outside of a, a magical run in Hoover. Yeah, so they're going to play June baseball on the road. And in a season where hosting a regional in Oxford was a baseline expectation. That, that's failure. Yeah, it is failure, but it can be rectified, obviously, if they make a run. Sure. But the problem is, is Ole Miss has never won a road regional in the Mike Bianco ever, era. They've never gone on the road and won anywhere. But, look, I'm not like, this is going to sound ridiculous, but I had this conversation with someone when I was in Cincinnati in August because I was kind of detached from, the, you know, what people call it Black Monday that day in June last year where they blew the home regional. Obviously, you know what I'm talking about. I didn't really see a whole lot of that when it happened. I kind of went back and watched some. I caught the end of the game in real time when I got home. But my point in all this is saying is, like, there was a certain point in that game where Ole Miss didn't score when it was a 2-1 game that took the air out of the stadium, and it kind of just felt like everyone was sitting on their hands awaiting the train wreck that inevitably came. And so is there anything to the fact that them – because I – 
when I was talking about this with someone in the offseason, I was like, wouldn't it be almost be better for them to maybe host a regional and then once they get to the regional at home, go somewhere else to try to break through to Omaha and get out of that environment? Because it seemed toxic. And so I'm not saying it's Ole Miss is better off going on the road, but I, I do wonder with this team and kind of the supposed like talented pieces that it has that if they get out away from Swayze that almost might help them a little because they've been decent on the road this year their two best series wins like LSU and Arkansas have been on the road so I know I sound nuts for saying that but I almost wonder if there's something to that I don't think the road is going to intimidate this baseball team I just don't know if this baseball team's good enough to win a road regional yeah and that's that's really what it comes down to you're right about that I mean I don't no, is this team good enough to go win at Texas Tech or, or Georgia Tech or hell, Louisville? They went to Louisville back in March and it didn't belong on the same baseball field. Um, now, I think Ole Miss is better than they were when they were at Louisville, and it's tough to say that after coming off the sweep. But I don't think this team's good enough to, to go on the road and win a regional. Um, I don't think they're they, – I mean, unless they play over their head, uh, which is certainly possible because they're the only team that won a game in Fayetteville since LSU – uh, salvaging the game on, on Sunday or on Saturday. I, I get where you're saying. I get where you're coming from. My question is, is this team good enough? They don't have a third starter. Gunnar Hogland's giving them really nothing. And that's another thing. It, at this point, with the, with the way Houston Roth has pitched, you just, you, you, you just kind of mix this Hogland thing. I mean... Yeah, probably. I mean, but I, the thing is, is like now with the bullpen being so frayed and Mike, like this weekend's going to, I think this weekend is going to make Mike manage the bullpen a little bit different than, than he has for, for rightly or wrongly. But now that you've got guys that you relied on that can't get out, so he might, he's probably a little gun shy to take Roth out of there because Roth has been the lone constant in the last four to five weeks with it. So I don't necessarily disagree with nixing the Hoagland thing, but man, you take another arm out of the bullpen and start them, then you're really working with, well, nothing. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you're praying that, that Etheridge, Nikhazy, and Roth give you six innings or seven innings apiece, because then you're trying to find six innings. Um, but, you know, from from what we were saying, and I didn't mean to get off topic, but I, I think, yes, I get what you're saying. Is this team better going on the road? If this team was good enough to win a road regional, then, yeah, I think it probably could, you know, factor in to, to winning. I don't think they are, and I don't think they, they've played well enough for, for someone to say, yeah, this team to win at Georgia Tech or Louisville. I just don't think that's possible. Have they recovered from last year's no. crash? Because I don't think so, and I think it's evident. I, I yeah. don't think they've ever – like it's almost like a hangover that they can't really shake themselves of. Uh, and it, it's, it's been a weird season. I think that's contributed, and we've said this before, but I think that's contributed to some of the midweek stuff. Some of the kind of mystifying losses were to teams where you're like, how'd they lose that game? And, and it, I think it goes beyond the players recovering from it, too. Yeah, just think, I don't know, things just haven't really felt the same. It's been a very weird, weird season. And I knew it was going to, like, be weird coming in, like when I was kind of thinking about how, what might happen, when and how. I knew it was going to be weird, but I didn't necessarily know it was going to, like, well, I didn't really know what to, how it was going to be weird, but this has kind of exceeded expectations. Uh, that's a that's a really good way to put it. It's, it's been weird by and, and exceeded expectations and its weirdness, and that's hard to do for Ole Miss baseball. But it has. Um, but the last know, two weeks have epitomized that. They went in one down in Baton Rouge. Now LSU looks like it's a bit of a mess. But you're walking out of there and you're like, okay, this team kind of has a different mental resolve that to, to let that happen to them. They win the first series since 1982. They're sitting at 15 and nine for Christ's sake. Yep. In, 
in in SEC play, and then you're talking about literally seven days later, it's an entirely different outlook. That's kind of been this season in a nutshell. What's the outlook? Let's just just hypothetical end. What's the outlook if if this team, you know, they get an inning from Miller on Saturday, Christy throws two innings, shuts it down. The exact same thing happens on Sunday. What's the mood and the outlook around this team? What are you saying? Ole Miss won one or two games. One. They won one. They they finished the game off on Saturday that they're up four to two. The exact same thing happens on Sunday. It's, how, how it's, ta- it's people talking about how the state has their number, but it's not the end of the world. Because that was what we talked when we talked about it all week, we talked about it on radio. Like but this series was really important for both teams, but it wasn't a detriment to either one sans a sweep. And it sans a sweep. If Ole Miss lost two out of three, they're Sixteen and eleven. All I mean, you got to go win two on the road at Tennessee to feel good about hosting. Whatever. You don't feel good if you're Ole Miss about losing a home series to Mississippi State. But but it's just kind of okay. That sucked. Whatever. Go win two on the road. So it's a completely different outlook. All they needed was one game. You, what the, they just couldn't get swept, and it almost just kind of felt like they rolled over and let it happen. Yeah. What? Well, and that's hard for me because. What's a guy like you know Josh Hall supposed to do out in center field when the, the pitching staff's giving up nine runs? You know, like they, I don't. Yeah, know. I don't it, mean like that. As I say, rolled over. They're just like, I, I didn't mean that in the sense that like they quit because obviously I mean they didn't quit, but like it was there was just it was met with such little resistance. Like state, whenever they got into an inning or what? I mean, you had a nine and a six run inning that changed the entire complexion of the weekend. Well, I think the stat was they played 27 innings and State scored in six of them and swept, which is impressive. Yeah, that's not taking away anything from State at all, but, like, that's, man, that's Ole Miss. When you blow up, you blow up. (laughs) To put it lightly. So, going forward, you know, they go to Tennessee this weekend. Look, if they sweep, uh, they're going to host regional. If they win two of three, they're going to have to do serious work in in Hoover. And if they win one, they'll be going to Morgantown or Atlanta or Louisville the next week. Chapel Hill possibility? Sure, but they better get their stuff together, too. Uh, losing a series to Pittsburgh didn't help them over the weekend. That was a thing that really bugs you if you're an Ole Miss fan. So many teams you're competing against for uh, hosting spots really stubbed their toe this weekend. And it helps you in the fact that it still lets you be in it. You know, I, I kind of went through it last night. I would think Ole Miss is probably the 18th or 19th team uh, when you talk about hosting, probably three or four teams out. Um, but Ole Miss really could have solidified its spots this weekend. It, it, Frankly, they just won one game. Selfishly, I'd kind of like to go to Louisville because I got to go up there earlier this year but didn't really have time to do anything. I would like to zip over to Cincinnati uh, for a day. That would be kind of cool. Pray for L.A. Uh, see, I just if it's a road regional at L.A., like I, I, I don't know if they're going to send me because like, that's, that's, yeah, that's a lot because for a little lose. return. Because they're not yeah. going to – I mean, they get put in UCLA's regional. God help them. I've seen that one before. Yeah. So, anyway, kind of putting a bow on that. That it, It's an interesting week for this team because you play a tricky game in Jonesboro on a team who has nothing to play for other than to wreck Ole Miss' season. Then they go to Knoxville for three games. Then Now they probably need to win all three. So, we'll just kind of see how that plays out. Then you have SEC Tournament. I'll be in Hoover. You can get coverage at supertalk.fm. So, Interesting couple weeks for the baseball team. On other news, the softball team is the number 11 national seed and hosting the second regional in program history in Oxford and the second one, I guess, what, in the last three years because they hosted two years ago. So I have not kept up with softball as much as I probably should this year. That sounds like it came as a little bit of a surprise. 
Um, I don't know if hosting came as a surprise. The number 11 seed absolutely did. Uh, they, they they were worried going into yesterday. They didn't know, uh, and frankly, it wasn't even close. Uh, they they were hosting and were hosting by a wide margin. Um, so good for them. Uh, Mike Smith done a great job over there. You know the, that that program is probably one of the best run on campus, to be honest. And yeah, when he know, took that, over, they never scored a run in the SEC tournament. Now they're hosting twice. <laughs> uh, yeah, and and. You know, you can get into, you know, who's coming and all that, but Mike Smith has, has done an amazing job, and Ole Miss needs to make sure they do whatever they can to keep him. Yeah, I saw there, too. So who is in there? Who all is in their regional? I uh, they, They'll play Chattanooga on Friday night, and then Louisiana Lafayette and Southeast Missouri State are their two and three seed. Louisiana Lafayette leads the country and wins. That doesn't seem fun. They're 47 uh, and four. That seems 50, tough. 50 and four. What? Fifty and four. Oh, they're fifty and four. Yeah. Okay. Well, that seems like a fairly good record. Yeah. I mean, look, they haven't played anybody. They're two and one against the top fifty. I looked at it yesterday. That's why they're not. That's so how why do they're you, not. How do you? I mean, I, 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 how do you get an eighteen RPI without playing any top fifty teams? I don't know. I mean, if you win them all, that that helps. Um, so if if you're Ole Miss, you look at you look at it and you're like, y'all couldn't send them to Baton Rouge, <laughs> like or the, give them their own regional. Good lord. Yeah, fair enough. But, uh, you know, look, I, I figure Ole Miss will win that regional. That's usually how softball goes. It's pretty chalk uh, in the regionals. You don't really have any upsets. The Ole Miss should probably get out of there. and, and They're matched up with Arizona, uh, and they'll go to Arizona for a Super Regional uh, if they do. And, and if this program goes to the Women's College World Series, that'd be something else. Yeah, it would. And Mike Smith's done a good job there um, it, to see how he's kind of built it that quick has been really fascinating to watch. Um, so good for softball. Elsewhere, you had two Game 7s, but I guess backing that up, the Rockets lost on Friday in a Game 6 without Kevin Durant in a series that twofold was a really embarrassing look for the Houston Rockets. And on the other side of things, uh, when Kevin Durant leaves, the Warriors probably aren't going to blink. No, they're going to be all right. Oh, Kevin Durant's a luxury, not a necessity. I saw someone put that. I think it may have been on Colin Coward's show. I think it was Chris Broussard. I thought that was the perfect way to sum it up. He is a luxury because he's probably the best scorer in the world currently, but he joined a team that had already won 73 games. He is not needed. Steph Curry, Clay Thompson are needed. Yeah, that, that's the perfect way to put it. You can, uh, If you all Steph Curry or Clay Thompson, I don't think this team uh, – looks the same as, as they did when they lost Kevin Durant, which is weird to say because he's the best player. But I think the team, if you if they had to pick one to go down, it's Kevin Durant. Yeah, and they're still probably going to be the the favorite, not the, I don't know about like betting-wise, but they're still going to, like no one's betting against them in the West next year even when he leaves. No, and nor should they. It's, uh, I mean, they, this team won a title without him. People do forget that. They were the winningest team ever. Yeah, 73-9. and nine. Yeah, whatever it is, seventy three and nine. So, but if you're Houston, like that was an all time flop. Like I don't really know where you go from here, and I'm not sure how many hardened playoff stinkers it's going to take for people to just kind of be like, okay, maybe this is who this guy is because the numbers are hollow. Like I don't really care that he gets thirty five and twelve and disappears in the last six minutes and they lose. Like how how many playoff like bat like he like he hasn't had a playoff like moment where he's just kind of taken over and won them a series like it's it's I don't know what you do. It goes back to OKC. He was bad in the playoffs there too. And Chris Paul's now thirty five. <laughs> Good luck. Um, 
So it's yeah. I mean, it was it's kind of they're kind of running out of time. Yeah, and you give them the excuse like wait it out till Durant leaves and that team kind of breaks up. Well, you you just had Kevin Durant out for the rest of your series of kind of probably their best pathway ever to the finals, the easiest path they've had since that group's been assembled the last couple of years and. Yeah. You on fire. They couldn't even win on home at home. Yeah, so they were tied at halftime, and Steph hadn't scored. Like that was the Clay Thompson game, if I've ever seen one. It was unbelievable. And, and then he likes you on fire. Yeah, and then Steph, of course, what Steph ended up with like twenty-eight or thirty, and he all in the second half. Yeah. So, yeah, that's that's a tough look for the Rockets, and it kind of bums me out because it makes me think the Warriors are still going to win without Kevin Durant, which I kind of, I mean, I knew. But, like, I'd like to see some sort of balance of power. Maybe if the Clippers add a couple free agents, you'll get it kind of interesting. Although, I would love to see, and we'll get to it in a second, but, like, Blazers, Warriors, if Kevin Durant is not available, that immediately becomes a way more equal series with those two backcourts. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I think they can match up well if KD's out. Not don't. Uh, you know, correct me if I'm wrong. I think they expect him at some point in the series to play. Yes, I don't. I think it's. I mean, he may miss a game or two, but uh, he won't be out for the whole series. But that series is set up because Portland went on the road in a game seven and beat Denver yesterday. Uh, that was CJ McCollum scored 37, was absolutely unstoppable in the last five minutes. Damian Lillard did not have a. He was like he wasn't like awful, like he wasn't a complete ghost, but he really struggled shooting the ball early in the game. Made a couple big threes late. But, like, they were down 17 in that game before you could kind of, like, blink an eye. Uh, Damian Lillard was not making shots, and then they just kind of steadily crawled back into it, and C.J. McCollum basically was just like, I'll I'll carry this entire thing. Yeah, and, and good for Portland. Uh, that, that was a cool moment to see a program, or uh, not program, but a team that's been consistent and stuck with it, get, you know, kind of rewarded for, for you know, perseverance there. This felt like the year with the way the playoffs shook out, too, with them dodging both Houston and... Golden State on the other side of the bracket that this was kind of the year they were going to get to the conference finals and get their recognition. Now they're probably going to lose. I'll give them a chance, not much of one, but I'll give them a a puncher shot at it. But yeah, I mean this is a this is an organization where every like in, in the day and age where everyone's like if you can't beat the Warriors, blow it up. It's like well, no one's beating the Warriors, and the Portland has kept that together for five six years now. They've been really good, and now they're kind of getting rewarded. And then that was that was cool to see. I was happy they went into Denver and won. I I didn't think Denver matched up with a uh, Golden State at all. So at least Portland will have a fighting chance. Yeah. Uh, on the flip side of that, if Denver can get one marquee free agent to come play with Jokic, they they're going to be a real real problem. Uh, like them getting like it, it's weird because it almost validates people saying that Denver wasn't like for real. Them getting eliminated the conference semis. I still think their season's validated. They were close. They did lose a game seven at home, but like. They get one more player, and that that group's gonna be, that that's gonna be an issue. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I'm completely in agreement with you. They uh, they're close, and and they're uh, their team's gonna be reckoned with. Uh, cover, uh, you know, along with a lot of other teams here in the West. Yesterday was probably one of the more interesting days in NBA playoff history, and I say history, the last like 20ish years. You had two game sevens. You had two game sevens that were incredible games. So. Kawhi in Toronto beats Philly on one of the more absurd shots I've ever seen. It bounces off the front of the rim twice, hits the back of the rim, and goes in. Um, you had Joel Embiid walking off the court in tears. Kawhi and the Raptors are going to face the Bucks. I think either one of those teams is getting beat by Milwaukee. But, man, you talk about a game where serious, serious, like, year, years after consequences for both teams because if the Raptors lose that Kawhi, 
you know, is moving stuff into his $12 million house he just bought in L.A. and probably signing a contract with the Clippers as soon as free agency hits. Now they're still on. They have a chance to get to the finals. And the further they get, I think they have a better opportunity to just beg, look, this is how close we are in keeping him. Um, the Sixers, on the other hand, who are they going to pay? Who are they going to trade? Like, what does that team look like next year? Because you can't pay all those guys. They could all bring them back for one more year. But after that, they're they're going to look different. Don't you just bring them back for one more year? I mean, maybe, but like that team never really worked. Like they, they, like they, like raw talent fueled them to that point. But like that, that never really worked. Like if you watch that game, particularly from an, and like the the Raptors were fine playing a, kind of a mucked up, like defensive struggle. But man, the 76ers offensively were a mess. Yeah, no, that's fair. Um, you know, I, I, that's why they pay the the 76ers GM. Name's escaping me right now. That's why they pay a lot of money. Um, it's going to be fascinating what they do because, like you said, you can pay them all for one year, but at some point those guys are going to go get max contracts and, and that type thing. And It's going to be interesting to see who they keep. Yeah, because Embiid and Simmons don't work together. You probably lean to keep Simmons over Embiid, even though Embiid's like the most dominant player in the NBA at times when he's healthy, but it takes him seven treatments to get ready for a single game. He can barely play back-to-back games. He's missed like 63% of the games he's been under contract for. I don't really know how you build around that. Simmons can't shoot. He's been passive at times. He's been good at other times. And I don't know what you do with the Jimmy Butler contract where he's nearing 30. And then I don't really know what Tobias Harris is. So, like, I don't really know what that's going to look like. And it's going to be fascinating. But, man, like, if it had turned the other way and Philly had won that game in overtime, you're talking about a completely different, like, obviously a completely different story. But, like, that team could make the finals. I think they could have beaten, beaten Milwaukee. I wouldn't have given them a great shot, but, like, I don't know. It was interesting to see how the, in that one game just how like dramatic the different outcomes can be. Because now, like free agency is going to be different because of that game. Yeah, and, and that's kind of why you love sports because so much hinges on on the result of one game, as, as fair as or as unfair as that is. So Western Conference Finals, I'm probably taking Golden State in six. I'll give yeah, the sure. Portland. Portland will probably win two home games. Maybe I don't know. Golden State's going to win relatively easy. That's how the world works. And then, I, I don't know. Like, I think Milwaukee's going to win because they're a lot better and Giannis is unstoppable. But, man, Kawhi, like, the Raptors are different with Kawhi Leonard because he's the best two-way player on earth. Uh, nobody really affects the game offense. Like, Kevin Durant's a better scorer than him. And, like, that's a just kind of splitting hairs. But, man, what Kawhi does on a possession-by-possession possession basis defensively, like, no one really affects an entire game like he does. So I don't really want to count them out. No, I don't either, but I do think the Bucks win probably in six or maybe seven. Um, but I, I do think it's Milwaukee Golden State in the finals. Did anything else interesting happen over the weekend? John Beeline, Michigan's head basketball coach, probably one of the top five coaches in college basketball, is now going to coach the Cavs. I thought that was an interesting move. I was reading something before we recorded saying that he's always wanted to coach in the NBA. That's an interesting step to take with that dysfunctional franchise, but uh, yeah. that's big college basketball news. Like Michigan yeah. – you don't make the right hire, and that program sinks. What do, what do you do if you're Michigan? Because it's kind of late. Do you hire a coach? Or do you do the interim thing for a year and then hire a coach? Because it's really sort of late uh, to be hiring a, a full-time coach. Yeah, I, I, I have no idea what you do. You know what you could do? Rick Patino. Oh, man. That would be hilarious. Look, if you're looking, like, if you're, if, if you're looking for a coach that wins and has won everywhere he's gone – He's your only option at this point. I'm not saying it's going to happen. I'm halfway joking. But if you're actually looking for a coach this late in the game and you have limited options, you got to at least make the phone call, right? No, you don't. 
because he's a scumbag and he's never going to coach in college basketball again. You got coaches on federal trial right now, or I guess it just wrapped up. You got coaches going to prison. Yeah, sure, but you just had John Beeline, who's like one of the cleanest guys in the game. You're going to go to Rick Pitino. Look, you need a directional shift that'll get you over the hump in the national title game. Yeah, uh-huh. You play for two national title games as a clean program, so now you're going to bring in Rick Pitino to fix it. I'm just saying, I would make the phone call, because to your point, it's late. There's not really any options. I guess well, you go the interim route and see if the guy fleshes himself out in the sense of, like, hey, maybe this guy. Yeah. I don't know what their assistant coaching staff looks like is why I'm just kind of bucking at this. Um, you know, Ohio State fired Thad Mata, like, in June one year and hired a coach. So, I mean, it, it wouldn't be, you know, unprecedented. So, uh, you know, I kind of have to be a decision one of those guys make. I wonder, just actually talking out loud here, you know who uh, Jim Harbaugh's brother-in-law is, don't you? Yeah. I don't think that would work, though. Tom Crean, like, just got to Georgia. Uh, like, do you really want to go back into the gauntlet that is the Big Ten? Not that the SEC is a breeze right now, but, like, expectations at Georgia versus expectations in Michigan, I imagine, are slightly different. Sure, and I don't actually think Michigan would want him. Yeah, no, I, I think they could do better than that, even if that meant using an interim waiting a year. That would be interesting, though, because you don't see college basketball programs, particularly one of Michigan's stature, making hires in May very often. That'll be uh, that'll be fascinating to follow. Um, I don't think we th- had anything else interesting happen in sports this weekend. There was no horse racing drama. Um, yeah, that's really about all I got. Did you see anything else that was interesting at all? No, no that, that's about all I got as, as well. Well, we'll be back at it on Wednesday. We'll probably do another Mailbag Wednesday, so if you're listening to this and have questions to send us, I know someone sent me a couple left over from last week after we recorded. We'll get to those. Obviously, we'll have a midweek game to talk about. Um, you going? For Ole Miss. I haven't decided. I don't think so. I don't want to, but I, I, don't, I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll be, have you ever been to Jonesboro? Uh, yes, once. Okay. So you don't, you don't have to go see the sites. No, no, I do not have to go see Scenic Jonesboro. Been there, done that. Think they have the world's biggest ball of yarn. Um, but, yeah, no, don't, don't need to go sightseeing in Jonesboro. But we'll be back at it on Wednesday for Colin Brister. I'm Brian Scott Rippey. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Rebel Report. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.